I'm glad to have the opportunity of meeting with you. I wish I could establish the relationships that you were talking about, but those happen over time. And I appreciate uh, Alan's very kind introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been at the Markham Woods Seventh Avenue Church all week with our vegetarian food instructor program uh, that meets morning and afternoon. And we have uh, this afternoon and today, but I got away for a little bit. Before I talk about uh, my assigned topic, I want to just, uh, maybe you could, got, there, there are two, th two things here. Okay. How many of you have heard of PositiveChoices.com? There are several of you that have. Um, the rest of you need to, and I'm going to tell you just very briefly about what we offer. PositiveChoices.com is a website where you can find current health information and you can get a daily health tip if you wish. You can go to the website, you can uh, subscribe to it and get it in your email every morning. You can uh, you get it on Twitter. Uh, we use all the modern social media that we can, uh, Google+. So you can, you can get those health tips in, in, in any way. Those, that's one thing that we do. We also have a number of authors that write lengthier articles. We call them blogs, and they're on the site, all related to health. And I find that many people, and you, many of you are pastors, if you're interested in giving a health nugget or a little health talk, those blogs can be wonderful uh, resource for providing that kind of information. I had a physician recently call me. He said, I was asked to give a health nugget at church. I didn't know what to do. And the pastor said, you better go to healthbites or to positivechoices.com. And he said, I've, I'm ready to give more health nuggets now. He said, it's a wonderful resource. Uh, so that's what's on the website. Information is changing constantly. Um, we also provide a, and you have it in your hand, a sample of a monthly newsletter that you can download and copy and distribute in your church or any other venue that you wish to. It does not cost anything. You do need to register on our site in order to receive that. When you register for healthbites.com or for healthbites, you can also register to receive a notification of when the next issue of, I, when you register, you will receive an email notification each month that the next issue is available and ready for download. The other thing that you can choose is to register for Health Bytes HD. Health Bytes HD is a video product. It's a one, we release one a month. I'm going to show you one here uh, that was just released um, this morning. And you can go to the website, positivechoices.com. You can click on the tab that says Health Bites HD. You can choose and you can see all the archives. You can view them streaming on the site. But if you want to download them to be able to put on a stick or a CD or something to show at church in high resolution, you download a high resolution copy of it so that you can use it to show to larger venues then you need to be registered. And when you go to that particular one uh, on the site, when you're registered, you can simply click on the download and you can download it to your machine 
and you can show it from there or you can uh, put it on a stick or however you wish to do it. I want to just show you uh, this one that was just released today and uh, I'm sorry I don't have better speakers so We don't have much time here, but you get a feel for it. It's no longer than four and a half minutes. Most of them are about four minutes in length. So they fit nicely between Sabbath school and church. And it's a resource for health that you can rely on for its accuracy and balance. A variety of people, Alan was on the, on the December one. Um, we featured him on the gift of health. It was Christmas season and the gift. Um, I did one uh, last month on keeping resolutions, and we release one each month at the beginning of the month. And you can use it as you wish. You can go back in the archives, and you can use them that way. So, well, we just started in November, so we're building our health bites. We have already have about a two years' worth in the can, a year and a half in the can, so to speak. And we may begin releasing two a month, but for right now we're releasing one a month. So, that, hmm? that's what we need. so that's available to any of you without charge. And if you have any difficulty with it, contact us just at info at positivechoices.com. We'll respond to you. We'll help you in any way that we can. Every month. When you when you sign up to download this, again, there's no cost for it, a very simple um, sign up. When you download it each month, it will be personalized and where it says on the back page now, special issue, this is a sample, it will say prepared for whatever organization you put in. So you can put in, you know, the, the uh, you know, Cedars, Seventh-day Adventist Church. And when you download it, it will be personalized in your copy to that organization. And if you have more than one church and you want it personalized to each church, um, then you need to sign up twice and download it twice. And each time, it will then get personalized that way. Yes? We get that in our church. Welcome to Translate it. Now, you have a color. We try to design it. It obviously looks the best in color. Yeah. But we try to design it in colors that will not just look black if you print it in black and white. So we're, we, we're thinking maybe of doing two different editions, black and white in color, but it certainly looks the best in color. Okay, thank you for, for your time. I hope that you will take advantage of the opportunity of using that resource. All right, to our topic uh, in terms of sleep. You know, we live in a world that most people, if you ask them, will say, I'm tired. If I were to ask you to raise your hands now, I know you're here enjoying Florida in wintertime and you can relax and have a good time. But I'll bet you most of you would say that you are tired, at least to some extent. Um, hmm? Yeah, especially at the end of the day, but many people even in the morning are tired. Let me ask you a question. Can you commit suicide by not breathing, holding your breath? 
No, you cannot. As soon as you pass out, you'll start breathing. Don't recommend it, but as soon as you pass out, you'll start breathing. You cannot kill yourself by not breathing. But let me ask you another question. Can you kill yourself by not getting enough sleep? Yes. You're a bright class. It all depends on what you're doing when you fall asleep. A tired mind, that is if you go long enough without sleep, your brain will simply fall asleep. And if you fall asleep while you're driving or you're operating a complex piece of equipment, it could be deadly. Those sleeps that are involuntary are usually very short from just a few nanoseconds to maybe a couple of seconds. But they're very common. And the more tired you get, you are, the more frequently you have those involuntary sleeps, often referred to as microsleeps. So yes, lack of sleep can actually kill you. It all depends on what's happening. Now, I'm a dietitian. I love nutrition. Um, I'm teaching the vegetarian, coordinating the vegetarian food instructor course and doing some of the teaching as well. Um, and I love the field of nutrition. But you know, I've come to the conclusion that there may be a few health habits that are more important than simply what we choose to eat because they influence every aspect of our lives. One of those is exercise, but another one is sleep. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we have talked for years about the Ministry of Healing 127, the eight doctors, or New Start, or however you wish to express it. We're hearing tonight about, or each night about creation health, all based and inspired by those statements, that statement on Ministry of Healing 127, and one of those is rest. But how often do we hear anything about rest? We hear almost nothing. I haven't. I went through, got my doctorate in public health, and I never had a class, one class, on the importance of sleep. Um, and it is true. Now, that dates me a little bit, because we really didn't hear much about the importance of sleep until the last 15 years. And really, within the last 10 years, we've heard a lot more. So sleep is absolutely essential. And I'm going to go through some of these very quickly. Um, one of the interesting things about sleep is the more tired we get, we're just like ch our children. Remember when you had small children? And you said, now it's time to go. But daddy, I'm not sleepy. And yet they were ready to fall apart. You know, they may have been lying down. You see their, you know, the, their, their eyes are going sleepy. And yet, as soon as you ask them to go to sleep, they say, but I'm not tired. But you know they are because you see the objective signs. In uh, a very interesting study of uh, sleep-deprived subjects, when their objective measures of performance were reviewed, this was in college students, the more tired they were, the subjectively, the less likely they were to admit that they were tired. Because the same area of the mind that we use to assess our levels of performance is what is most affected by not getting adequate rest. Um, I know you're not all from the US, but, um, and actually the 210 uh, poll didn't, the numbers really didn't change. Uh, the Gallup News 
Newsweek survey found that almost two-thirds of the population are tired most of the time, according to the survey. I mean, these, this is very subjective. The people are saying we're tired all the time, and there are many reasons for that. We, there are some concerning trends. There is a Columbia, Columbia University in New York has a laboratory that has been keeping records of the amount of sleep that Americans have been getting since 1914. And adults today are sleeping one and a half hours less than did our, I shouldn't say great, than did our grandparents. One and a half hours less, on average, less sleep. And what's perhaps of greatest concern is that today teens are sleeping two and a half hours less than they did in 1962. And this is good hard research data. So we're getting less sleep as in the day and age in which we live today. Probably the most, the most fascinating research that has been done in this area, and it's been corroborated now by others, but I'm going to show you Dr. Gregory Belinke's data. He worked for the Walter Reed Army Research Institute for more than 20 years. He's a psychiatrist, but his, he is today considered to be one of the world's experts in the area of sleep and its impact on human lives. He's, recent, he's retired, and he actually now works for the University of Washington in Spokane and heads up their research lab. Uh, and I moved before coming to the General Conference from Spokane, and so I had the opportunity for a couple of years of reconnecting with him. And he's a very fascinating man. I was on the plane flying to Spokane at late last year, and I looked across the aisle, and here he was. And we had a good conversation. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that conversation because it was a very special one, um, but I'll tell you that as we close. What he did a few years ago was he took army volunteers, guinea pigs, and he put them in a retreat-like setting where for two-week period of time, he monitored their sleep each night as well as their activities in the daytime. They, they actually lived 24 hours a day with, uh, with uh, electroencephalographic leads on their heads and little recorders on their belts. And he was able to verify that among this group, they were getting an adequate amount of sleep and that they were fully rested. He then took them to the laboratory at Johns Hopkins University and he gave them a PET scan and a CAT scan at the same time. Actually, they were two different machines, but it was within the same time frame. And then he merged the images. The CAT scan gave the, the geography of the brain. And the PET scan gave the color information. And this is what it looked like when they were fully rested. Now, what we're looking at here, of course, this is the forebrain. This is the brain stem. This is back at the back of the brain. And the brighter the color, the greater the amount of blood flow to that area of the brain. And neuroscientists call this brain activation. And it correlates with the amount of glucose that is being burned as a result of brain activity. 
and you can see that there was a lot of yellow up here as well as bright purple. And of course, this was a very bright spot back here. This is the visual cortex. And these people were awake. And the optic nerves from the eyes send the information back here to the visual cortex, where we interpret. That's where we perceive what we see. And then that information is sent to the higher centers of the brain for processing and use in in various ways. But you can see that the, the, this is a rested brain. Then he took these same subjects in the same retreat setting. And for four nights, he deprived them of one to one and a half hours of sleep per night. Now, he did that by letting big German Shepherd dogs run down the halls at 2 o'clock in the morning barking. They had a fire, set the fire alarm off at 3 in the morning, and uh, everybody had to vacate the building, and then they let them back in. And they did various things, knocked on the door. They came to the door. Nobody was there. They did all kinds of things to disturb their sleep. But they were measuring how much sleep they got and the quality of their sleep. And then they put them at, at 8 o'clock. By the way, they were awakened at 6 in the morning. The test was done at 8 in the morning, two hours after wakefulness. They were fully awake and rested. They did the test again after depriving them of a few hours of sleep over a period of four days. And I want you to all watch the change in color on the screen because you don't have to be a neuroscientist to see the difference. This was the tired brain. And you can notice that even in the visual cortex, and sight is not really affected much by lack of sleep. But notice what happened in the frontal lobes. That's the area of the mind where we make decisions. That's really the area of the mind that determines the success we experience in life. And I'll go back to the previous slide. So you can see that, whoops. Well, we'll get there. Sorry. The computer's tired. <laughs> OK, now I'll change it to the tired, just so you can see. See a marked difference. This was quantitated in the research. And by the way, because this is scanning technology, they analyzed over 1,600 slices of the brain in each subject. But we're just looking in a sagittal section right down the middle because that is what we're most familiar with. Yes? There, there's, a, there's a huge difference in terms of brain activation. So the yellow has really disappeared, and there's more blue, which represented the least activation. Yeah, yeah, big difference. I used to put a slide on of the scale, and most people didn't want to. It was too confusing to them. This is from one subject, but he used 
more than 25 subjects in the study, and he found very strong consistency between all of them. I mean, I can only illustrate one uh, on the screen. Now, when he published this data, he This is what he said in his first publication. Fatigue selectively targets the highest order of cognitive mental functions, and critical thinking becomes impossible. Now, that's not criticizing your neighbor. That's the high order of mental processes. And neurophysiologists classify those as the following. Discernment, which is the ability to tell whether there's one or more choices available. If there are no choices available, there's no decision to be made. Now, I don't think you can think of any situation in life where there is zero choice. There's always multiple choices in terms of making decisions. But that's what discernment is. Judgment is the process in which we go through in our frontal lobes that evaluates the options that we have determined and chooses what is the best option under this current set of circumstances. Initiative is the ability to begin doing something that we have judged to be appropriate. And I can, you know, I can think of times, you can think of times, no doubt, in your life where you knew you needed to do something, but you didn't start doing it. And that was probably when you were tired. Creativity is not just artistic creativity. Creativity is being able to look at a problem from, a multiple, from multiple views and come up with the best solution to that problem creatively. And then forethought is the ability to do something now that will save time in the future. And it's very interesting that people who are tired become less and less efficient in what they do. It takes them longer and longer to do it. And so decision-making involves all five of those high-order mental processes. And those occur in the frontal lobes, and that's the area that is particularly targeted in terms of loss of sleep and diminished capacity. Now, he also found, we've, we've talked about the frontal lobes, which is the second one there. He also found in this research that the thalamus, which is a very small portion of the brain, just above the brain stem, has many functions, many important functions, but it also was greatly impacted by loss of sleep, even small amounts of loss of sleep. And one of the things that the thalamus is responsible for is taking sensory information and sending it to the other parts of the brain. It's kind of the central processing area. So if you're making decisions that is dependent upon what you are seeing, the data, the, the visual data is sent to the frontal lobes for processing and making that decision. And it too is greatly impacted. And if, if I can illustrate it this way, we have this, all of the senses, taste, sight, hearing, smell, touch, and it's like a funnel. 
and the thalamus is like that, frontal, that funnel. Now, if I had a large gallon jug of precious liquid, and I wanted to pour it into a small container like this, and I didn't want to lose a single drop, what would I need? I'd need a funnel. And I would then have to pour it from the large container to the small container at the right rate. Because if it's a small funnel, I can pour it at faster than the funnel can hold it, and it'll overflow. And what happens when we are tired is that the funnel gets smaller. And so we lose data or information. And once that data is gone, it's gone. It's lost because the brain just cannot process it. And that is largely responsible. That's one of the big responsibilities of the thalamus. And when we make decisions on only partial information, we then have the greatest risk of making catastrophic decisions. We, to make the best decisions, we need all the information possible to process in the high centers, higher centers of the brain. So fatigue lowers our cognitive efficiency. It reduces ability to process new information efficiently. It lessens the awareness of our surroundings. It impairs learning new information. University of California at San Jose has a group of researchers that for almost 20 years now have been looking at fatigue and academic performance in senior high school students and college students. Very, very interesting data. Um, and very clear findings that if students will go to sleep, get two hours of quality sleep before midnight, they will retain newly learned information for longer. Hmm? <laughs> From the prophet. <laughs> very, very interesting data. And they don't know anything about the prophet. It decreases long-term memory. Newly learned information is put into temporary holding areas. And then during the REM phase of sleep at night, especially before midnight, it is sorted, reorganized, and put into long-term memory areas. And that's why we believe that it maximizes the retention. Decision-making falls to chance levels. And so a tired person is inefficient. They're slower, they're less safe, and they make more mistakes. Now, Alan mentioned that I work with computers a bit. And uh, I do it at home. I'm the tech support for my wife. And she's not particularly computer literate. Um, <laughs> but um, one night, I was having problems with my local network. This was several years ago. And I said, she said, it's time to go to bed. And I said, well, I'm going to fix this and then come to bed. And about an hour later, she came into my office and she said, how's it going? Very sweetly. And I said, well, I'm still struggling. I don't know what the problem is. And she said, don't you think you ought to practice what you preach? Well, that was like a, an arrow in the heart. <laughs> um, I knew she was right. And I said, no, I'm going to get it done. You know. I worked until after midnight and finally gave up and went to bed. Got up the next morning after my exercise and devotions 
And before I went to the office, I said, I got to fix it. But you know, in five minutes, I found the problem and I had it fixed. After when my mind was rested. And I wasted two hours or more of time the night before. And I often think of the sermons <laughs> that I wrote on Friday night. And I, and I look back at the notes I have and I'm embarrassed. I have found that if I have a writing assignment, if I get up in the morning and work on it, I get it done better and faster than if I do it in the evening. And it's much more accurate. And the fact is that tired people just aren't efficient. And unfortunately, we live in a world today where there is a ubiquitous intrusion of personal, social, and cultural activity into the time traditionally re reserved for sleep. I was riding the elevator here in this hotel the other night, and somebody that I said, how are you? And I, it wasn't from our group. And he said, hey, did you watch such and such last night? Well, I hadn't even turned my television on. Now, I'm not saying that to brag, but I don't have time for it. And in the evening, I need my rest. And that's when most people sit and vegetate watching television. And of course, we can talk about content on television also, the quality of the content, which is not very high. Let's look on the, at, a, at some research that was done by a different group of investigators from Alabama in the US Army on productivity and sleep debt. When we miss an hour of sleep, we build up sleep debt. And when we miss two or three, we end up with more sleep debt. And it just continues to accumulate. And our performance goes down the more sleep debt that we have. What they did was they took well-rested soldiers put the, who were trained and experienced in a repetitive type of productive task. These were artillery operators. And they were, their responsibility was to aim and load reload, aim, and fire at targets. So it was very precise type of activity. And they measured their productivity over a 21-day period of time for each person, but they divided them into four groups, those who got seven hours of sleep per night, those who got six hours, those who got five, and those who got four hours of sleep per night. And this was the results. The red line represents those who got seven. You notice that over 21 hours, the the Performance went down over 21 days. Performance went down a little bit. And that's very indicative of the fact that most sleep researchers today will tell you that you need a minimum to get by on of seven hours of sleep per night. If you want to optimize your performance, you need eight to eight and a half hours. Most people do as adults. Those who got six hours, you can see that they got, their performance went down even more steeply, five hours and then four hours of sleep. Interestingly, those who got four hours of sleep per night at, during the entire course of these 21 days, their performance was less than 20% of those who were getting seven hours of sleep per night. So, and, and it, the, the other interesting thing was that they were objectively measuring performance, but then they, in, at various intervals, they asked them subjectively how well they were performing. 
And the group who were getting four hours of sleep said they were performing at the best they had ever performed. <laughs> because the area of the mind that evaluates is the area that's the most susceptible to the ravages, if you will, of sleep loss. So, um, sleep debt increases the entire brain's ability, decreases. I'm sorry, another question. Okay. Very good question. Very good question. The most, when we look at sleep, we look at two, at least two different measurements. One is the quality of the sleep, the other is the length of the sleep. And what your question is pointed at is the quality of the sleep. In many studies, it has been found that if you take, for instance, let, let's just give one study I can, I think that comes to mind right now. It, was a, it, it involved more than 300 people in the study. It was a very large study for that kind of, for this kind of research. They, they, they all were fully rested when they started the study. They, they validated that. And they then had Half the group go to sleep, go to bed at 10 at night, and the other half at midnight. They did that for six weeks. Then there was a washout in the middle, and they reversed the groups. So the group that was going to sleep at 10 now went to bed at, at midnight, and vice versa. And they looked at the, they measured with electroencephalographic recordings the quality of the sleep that they got. Those who went to bed at 10 and got up at 6 were much more rested and more productive than those who went to bed at midnight and got up at 8 in the morning. Significantly so. And it was the conclusion that the quality of the sleep that they got, even though both groups got eight hours of sleep, the quality was better when you went to bed before midnight. And let me give you a simple illustration. How many of you have had a deadline that you needed to finish early the next morning? We all have. So you come home at the end of the day, and let's assume you have a family, you have some children. So you come home, you've had a long day, but you spend a little time with the kids, you eat your evening meal with the kids, you have worship with the kids, and now they're in bed, and you're really still worried about this assignment. Sermon or whatever <laughs> for you pastors. Um, you know it has to be accomplished. Now, while you're having worship and right after you eat in the evening or when you're trying to visit with the family, you may find that you have almost overwhelming urges to go to sleep. You can hardly keep your eyes open. But, you know, you, you start working on it now at 9, 9.30 in the evening. And by 10.30 or 11, you're beginning to feel like you're really wide awake. 
And by midnight, you, f you, know, you look at it and you say, I'm almost done. And so you spend another half hour or hour and you get it all done. And then you collapse into bed and you wonder why you can't go, back to, can't go to sleep. What's happened is that you've gone beyond a physiological window of opportunity that makes it easiest to go to sleep due to the 24-hour cycles of some of the neurotransmitters that the brain produces that help to induce sleep. But they not only help to induce sleep, they also tend to pattern the quality of the sleep. And we sleep in phases. And those are at about 90 minutes between the deep sleep and the REM sleep, which is the lightest sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, both of which contribute very unique characteristics to the sleep that we get. And those are patterned by these sleep inductants that are altered when we don't go to sleep at the time that physiologically is the best time to go to sleep. And they impact the quality of the sleep that we get. Um, I'm, I need to move ahead because time is running out. Um, sleep debt increases the entire brain's ability to, uh, decreases the brain's entire ability to function, most significantly impairing areas of the brain responsible for attention. Sometimes you see this referred to as the executive functions of the mind, attention, complex planning, complex mental operations, and judgment. Um, uh, we're going to move very quickly. I want to come to one area that is, I think, of great interest to Seventh-day Adventists because as Seventh-day Adventists, we have looked down our noses at anyone who drinks alcohol and drives especially. I was doing a seminar in a corporate setting and gave some of this material and somebody raised their hand at the end and they said, can you tell me, is it better to go to work Drunk or sleepy? And because I don't drink, I had never thought of that. But I went to the literature to find a response or an answer. And I'm going to share with, with you two different studies. Uh, they were both very good studies, but what they found very quickly was that when people had been awake for 17 hours, now 17 hours is a fairly typical day for a lot of us. Anytime. Just think about it. Think about your day. You get up at what time? When do you retire? How many hours elapses in between? They had the performance of a rested person who had had one to two beers. And when they had been awake for 24 hours, one day, these were rested to begin with, they had the performance of someone who had had three to five beers higher than the legal blood alcohol level in every state in the union. And they didn't, they didn't test it any further because you begin to come into, you have problems of alcohol toxicity. Um, in an Australian study, they found that 16 to 18 hours of continuous wakefulness in healthy adults produced performance impairments comparable to legal intoxication with alcohol at approximately 0.08 of blood alcohol level. So 
Well, I don't want to make you feel guilty, but when you had kids and you were going on a long trip, you drove all night because the kids slept and you didn't. Was that very smart? It, may, it certainly may not have been very safe. Begin to see the impact and the importance of rest. I'm going to skip this slide. I'm sorry because we're running out of time, but I have to... How do we deal with fatigue? I'm going to make some quick suggestions, and then I'm going to move to a few concluding slides. Number one, get adequate sleep regularly, and on average, for optimal cognitive performance, it's, we need between eight and nine hours. And the payback on it is that we accomplish more in less time, more safely with fewer mistakes. You know, people say, oh, I don't have that much time. But the reality is, like we said, we're more efficient in the morning. But that efficiency remains longer in the day when we are fully rested. Number two, we need to exercise 30 to 60 minutes every day. It is impossible to get a good night's sleep, a good quality night's sleep, without at least 30 minutes of physical activity. We talked about the sleep inductance, but there's more than that that gives quality. And when people are sedentary, they don't get the quality of sleep, even though they get the hours of sleep. We need to learn to control our stress. Stress is a high-order mental function in many respects. It's, it's our interpretation of the circumstances that we find ourselves in and how we wrestle with it. And it, it, it adds to the fatigue burden of the body. It adds to the, to the tiredness. We need to eat properly and drink adequate amounts of water. Those who are in a very interesting, several studies, again, done in the military. Military has done an enormous amount of research in the area of fatigue and sleep loss. But what they found was that when soldiers are 3%, I'm sorry, 2% dehydrated, they've already lost 10% of their cognitive performance. But we don't feel the perception of thirst until we're about 3% dehydrated. And now you say, well, 10% isn't much. For normal things in life, it isn't. But what happens in an emergency situation when we have, are called upon to make a very critical decision of any kind? We need to avoid caffeinated beverages, tobacco and alcohol. Tobacco influences the quality of sleep. Uh, a caffeinated beverages influence, a single cup of coffee in a person who has not been using it, a dose of caffeine equivalent to one cup of coffee. The impact on the quality of the sleep can be measured for almost 54 hours in the laboratory. A single cup. Now there's a little bit of tolerance that's developed and we don't have time to go into that. And alcohol is the most common sleep aid used in the world. You may not use it, and I hope you don't, but it is the most common. And it helps people go to sleep, but it destroys the quality of the sleep in the last half of the night. And they wake up without the rest. And then we need to rest a day each week, and we need to take an annual vacation. And of course, if you suspect a sleep disorder, uh, you need to see your physician. Some very interesting things in, in the sleep area of research that's coming out now. One is that 
lack of sleep raises, uh, influences the interplay between leptin and ghrelin, which are, leptin was the hormone that was discovered and we thought it would be the pill to help people who are overweight lose weight because it suppresses appetite, ghrelin increases appetite. No one's been able to come up with a pill that accomplishes that. But in the area of sleep research, as we're getting less sleep in our society, we're finding that tiredness or sleep loss decreases the level of leptin and increases the level of ghrelin. Did I say that right? Yeah. yeah. And so it is contributing to the problem of obesity, lock, lock, lack of control. I, anyway, we, we're running out of time. Um, so let me conclude with a spiritual application. This is not science. But you all know the story of Jesus and Judas, uh, of <clears throat> Peter, sorry. Remember that Peter said three times, Lord, I'll never deny you. And then he was awake for most of the night. And he denied the Lord three times. And in Mark 14, he said, and when he thought about it, he wept. Why did a man who, f and I realize that sleep is not the only cause, but I think it's a very good illustration of what happens. You determine you're not going to do something, and then when you're not rested, you turn around and you do exactly that. I do believe that there are some spiritual consequences to fatigue. I think the first one is that it increases our susceptibility to temptation because it affects the frontal lobes of the mind, and that's where we do our mental processing to resist temptation. Um, we're just going to move very quickly. Um, the, uh, this was a very interesting study. It's an effort assessment test. They took 50 young, healthy subjects, and they assessed their capacity to solve problems. Mathematical problems is what they used. And they did it before they had sl uh, any sleep deprivation, and then after they had sl were ex where they experienced sleep deprivation. And they found that those who were sleep deprived were found unwilling to work at tasks that required more than automatic per performance. So they, they weren't willing to put forth the extra effort, even though when they were rested, they had been determined capable of solving that degree of problem. But when they were tired, they didn't even want to try. Wouldn't even try. It also impacts spiritual vigilance. And there's a lot of data on soldiers' vigilance and fatigue in the military research. Um, it diminishes our insight into God's word and our ability to understand that. And it lessens our desire to communicate with God. It lessens our desire to communicate with others as well. I have a feeling, it's my theory, that fatigue is one of the devil's end run around God's end time people. And he can get us so busy doing good things that we don't get the sleep that we need and then we succumb to temptation. Just, just in closing, I, I, just a couple of years ago, I, I found a most beautiful statement 
And you can find it on the CD-ROM. It's on the comprehensive writings on your smart devices, your smartphones and things. God instituted the Sabbath as a day of rest to repair nature's exhausted energies. No mind can continue day after day without cessation, either in business with checks as the mental powers or in the acquirement of knowledge without injury. There is no night in heaven. There's no wear and weariness of the human machinery. I look forward to that day. In heaven, we shall never be sensible of fatigue, never need or want repose. There's no tire in performing God's will. We shall never be wearied in sounding his praise. We shall always have the freshness of the morning. But as we are now in this world, that's in the here and now, with bodies which weary, we must pay heed to God's plans and take repose when we need it. You know, that's a little pamphlet, and it's in one of the manuscript releases, and I keep meaning to change my reference. It's this pamphlet, 043, page 39. But if you do, if you do a search, you'll find it. Um, and I will change my slide. This just reminded me of that. Now, I told you I'd just share one thing about Dr. Gregory Belinke. He and I have you know, had many interactions over the years. And I've been in his laboratory, I've watched his research, I've watched him doing experiments on people who have been 96 hours without sleep. Constantly. Watched them in driving simulators. He's a godless man, he doesn't believe in God, he doesn't believe in creation, but he's a wonderful scientist. When we met on the plane last December, as we were conversing, he said to me, Fred, I've got to tell you something. He said, I'm not ready to do anything about it. But he said, you and your people are on to something when it comes to your day of rest. He said, I want to talk to you more sometime about that. I wish I was living in Spokane. But we will, we will do that. I still have grandchildren, son and, and, and family in Spokane, so we go there. And uh, he said, anytime, just come to my office. I'd love to see you. But people begin to realize the blessing of the Sabbath, and, and we mustn't discount that blessed day. I'll take a question in a moment. But I just want to remind you that sleep is as important as diet and exercise, only it's easier. That was the slogan of the National Sleep Foundation a couple of years ago. Thank you very much. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons please visit www.audioverse.org